Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Lagen, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and in today's episode I'm sharing with you a conversation with someone I find really awesome and she's called Esmeralda. Myself and Esmeralda got chatting, I think it was back in November, and we've kept talking ever since, and I very much hope that we can meet in person someday. I first got in touch with her as I saw that she was living in a tiny house, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, and I had so many questions I wanted to ask. I then learned about all the other incredible work that she's doing as a part of many climate action groups, and I'm so grateful she was up for coming on the podcast to talk about all these things with me. We talk about the climate action groups that she's a part of, which include the Global Youth Biodiversity Network, the Green Youth, she's a Belgian youth delegate and also a part of Weekends for Future. We talk about how Esmeralda came to living in a tiny house, the importance of community action and looking after your well-being in the face of eco-anxiety. So this was our first back and forth conversation that we'd actually had after a while of voice noting to get to know each other. So it was a really lovely experience to be able to speak to each other in live time. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Hey. Hey. How are you? Good. You? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's so nice to actually have like a live back and forth conversation now after so long of like <laughs> dropping voice notes. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same. Yeah. I first got in touch with you because I was like, oh my gosh, you're living in a tiny house. That's so cool. And then we got chatting and I was like, oh my gosh, you're doing so many cool things. <laughs> like, I just wanted to like ask so many questions. So. <laughs> No, yeah, I wonder if we're going to be able to fit all of the topics that you wrote down. I thought first it'd be great just for the listeners who maybe don't know much about who you are and as brief or as in-depth as you like, just a little bit about you and what you do and yeah, how you came to live in your tiny house. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my name is Esmeralda. I studied anthropology as bachelor and environmental sciences uh, as masters. And yeah, as far as I remember, I've always been interested in like sustainability and trying to reduce my carbon footprint. So this is something that we already had in my family. Like we had very little economic resources and. <laughs> Like we had to save on basically everything. And then as I grew up and met other people that were much wealthier than I was and would qualify themselves as like sustainable, <laughs> I started to question like, what is it actually to be sustainable and so forth. And yeah, just tiny house allowed me to go one step further because I was living in a flat before and there were a lot of things that I couldn't do because I was renting. Like, for example, I had a toilet that was using a lot of water every time I would flush. And <laughs> that's definitely something that I wanted to change. But still, since I wasn't the owner of that place, I couldn't really make that change. So, yeah, just moving into my own house was a very big thing for me because I was able to just make all the adjustments that I wanted. And I still have a lot to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice, awesome. And I want to pick up on what you said, actually, about how you met people who then were maybe a little bit more wealthy than you were and their idea of what sustainability is. And I think it's something that it has so many different connotations for different people as like what actually is sustainability. You know, it's such this big thing that has kind of the mainstream or idealized version and then the kind of more maybe not so aesthetically pleasing but actually more environmentally friendly alternative like it's such a a big a big like umbrella term that is like so much to unpick no yeah exactly like there are some things that as you mentioned are just pleasing to see like people doing zero waste and posting on social media about it and i think that it's an absolutely great thing but there are also things that might have a way bigger impact on our environment that, that 
that are just like invisible to people. Like, for example, if you have a lot of money on your saving account and have it on a bank that is not investing sustainably, this might have a huge impact that you don't even grasp at all because you have no idea what your bank is investing in. So, yeah, this is, for example, one of the invisible things that you can do. Like, if you have a lot of money on your a bank account, you can just think, yeah, should I maybe move it to a more sustainable bank or like support local projects and sustainable investments and so forth. Yeah, I think there are really a lot of different kinds of being sustainable and you just have to, yeah, get the right information to you. Yeah, and like find the ways to navigate it in your life as well. Like recently I found out something about like your pension. If you have a pension, the money you're paying into, that can also have really damaging impacts depending on where they're investing the money that you're paying in and it's things like that that maybe not everyone thinks about when you think about living more sustainably it's like okay how how do certain things look in my life and it's like there's this huge picture above that but I would love to hear a little bit more about your tiny house and how your typical day functions how it all is yeah yeah, I don't really know where to start because there are just so many things. Uh, maybe one thing I could start with is that I'm completely off-grid. Like, I am not connected to the electricity network, to water. Um, so, yeah, this can be a bit tricky sometimes because you just wake up, you want to have a shower, and you realize that you have no water. <laughs> Which is something that can happen. I mean, some tiny houses are completely connected to all of the networks, so it just works as a normal house. But I made the choice to not do it because I feel like it's also something really valuable to like understand how flows and energies work and to understand that they are not unlimited. And like when you live in a normal house, it just feels like like everything runs so smooth that you can't really yeah, realize that actually energy is limited and water is a limited resource. So yeah, being in this house, it just made me realize that like, for example, at the moment, one of the improvements I want to make is to collect the rainwater. It's probably one of my projects for it spring at the moment if I want water I just get water from my neighbor's house and I bring it into my house and then I have like a a storage of 100 liters of water that I use over I'd say one week when the average water use in my country is like 120 liters per person per day (laughs) I was able to like drastically reduce the water I use and Yeah, that's probably one of the things that makes my day a bit different because I have to go and look for the water or I have to check if my solar panels are giving enough energy if I want to use things that use a lot of electricity and I can check like in real time how much all the electric supplies of my house, how much energy they use, which is also like really crazy sometimes when you think about something. So yeah, that's a big change that was in my life. And yeah, I guess also one of the reasons I moved into this tiny house is that I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, like really happy with my current job. I work as a project manager in the nature park, which is really nice, but I don't really know my contract isn't that stable. And I also don't know if I want to stay there forever. So having my own place without having the like constraint of not being able to move anymore. Yeah, this is just, yeah, so great. So at the moment I go by bicycle to work, which is really nice. But yeah, someday, someday if I change my job, uh, I can just like move my house as well and <laughs> get closer. So, yeah. That's so awesome. And I love the kind of thought as well of all of the energy and water usage and everything in your house. You're so connected to where it's coming from how much there is how much you're using and I think that's something that can so easily be forgotten when it's just like oh I pay my electric bill once a month and I pay my water bill and you don't necessarily think of how much exactly you're using whereas like if you have a basically a big tank filled of water you're seeing it going down and then refilling it yourself and I think it gives you so much more connection to like this is where these resources are coming from and they do actually run out, I think is incredible. 
you know, rather than it just being this imaginary thing that just comes into your life and then leaves, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So have there been like a lot of challenges to when you moved in? I know we had a chat recently about now it's in the colder months, how it's been quite cold in your in your tiny house. How have things like that been to manage? Yeah, I'm really going step by step with this. Like the first challenge I had was that basically everything I'm doing here is illegal. <laughs> I didn't I don't have a proper authorization of the municipality to put my house here, which I would need if I wanted to be doing this legally. Uh, I had to put my official address back to my parents' place. Uh, yeah, because everything is like legally so complicated that a lot of people just give up on the project of having a tiny house because it's just way too complex. And I just decided, like, I bought this house secondhand and I was like, okay, I have no idea where I'm going to put it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just went step by step. And now that the winter arrived, it was just. I guess an extra challenge because here it just rains and snows a lot. So it's not the most beautiful wet weather to enjoy when going outside. But I recently uh, installed a wood stove, uh, which I haven't tried out yet, but very, very soon I will. And I hope that this problem is going to be solved. I guess one of the other challenges is that I used to live in a town and like everything was close by. I could walk to everywhere and I'm now living in the countryside I have to use my car (laughs) I guess a lot more like not to go to work but all of the other activities I have to use my car for so this is something that I really don't like but at the same time I don't necessarily have the choice because all the distances are just so big something I'm a bit struggling with but I guess it's a good compromise (laughs) yeah like it is so tricky navigating all the different areas of that and like you're saying, I think it's great that you're taking your time with it and like taking each step at a time. Because I think someone could think about the idea of living in a tiny house and just be like, oh, no, that's that's way too much to manage. So I think it's incredible that you are taking it in like sort of manageable chunks is, is really, really mm. sensible. Yeah. This might be a really silly question, but like with Wi-Fi and stuff like that, getting all of that sorted in your tiny house as well. Yeah, there are a lot of things like for the Wi-Fi, I had to do some research and since like nothing is conventional in this house, like research takes a big part of the time I spend doing things for the tiny house. Uh, For Wi-Fi, I have just a a small machine that transforms the 4G network into Wi-Fi. So my Wi-Fi also isn't unlimited. I have, I don't know how much per month and I have to go with it, which can be kind of tricky sometimes because with the COVID, we have so many like video calls everywhere that like the internet just gets it's used really fast. And I, yeah, it's happened that I ran out, I think one month, but yeah, I'm just trying to like check when I use too much and to go like day by day and be like okay in this video call I'm just going to turn my camera off because this is using a lot of resources Mm. and again it's like for the water you really notice that you're using resources because the internet is another big thing that you can't really know what's behind when you're using it and there are like a lot of undersea cables and servers everywhere that are using like so much energy and when you have it limited it just makes you gives you a sense of what it actually represents in terms of like consumption Mm. yeah but i have to say that i'm quite lucky because i'm living in a garden of some very nice people they were like okay our garden is too big we want to share it with someone so yeah i met them i think twice before installing my tiny house here and yeah we got along really well so yeah i just put my house here and they help me out with everything I struggle with with the tiny house. So that's really nice. Like if I am really out of energy, if my battery's got too low, I can plug my house to theirs. Uh, yeah, I get water from the shed. We share the laundry machine, freezer, like quite a few things. And it's also really nice to live in a like small community with other people. Yeah, for sure. And I'd love to hear a bit more about how that experience has been having that sense of community and sort of the other crossovers in the way that you're managing to live in your tiny house like how is it 
been with that sort of supportive network of awesome people supporting you in doing this? I have to say that I feel quite privileged having like so many people who help me around because when I bought the house, as I mentioned before, I didn't know where I was going to put it. And yeah, I just told like five, six people that I had bought a tiny house, not even that I was looking for a place to put it. And I had already received like four or five offers. Hey, you can put your house there and there. So that was the really first step. And then, of course, I had to move the house and you need like a really big car to move it. And yeah, I have like the smallest car possible. So I also needed support for that. And you need a specific dri uh, driving license to move it. And it can be a bit trickier than imagine. Like sometimes on YouTube videos, you see very like <laughs> smooth uh yeah, trips with a tiny house or that kind of things. And yeah, the reality can sometimes be a bit trickier. So yeah, I also needed support to move it. And now that I'm living with my neighbors, it's been just like incredibly enjoyable. It's not something I had expected when buying the tiny house. I was thinking of maybe putting it somewhere and living on my own. But in the end, it's just probably the best part of living in a tiny house like to have that connection with my neighbors to know that we are there to support each other if anything happens to be able to share things not to have to buy everything on my own or on their own so now this this is probably the best part of living in a tiny house like i mean i really like my house itself but yeah just sense of community is just the best thing yeah. oh that sounds amazing and i think what you said there as well about the comparison between maybe seeing videos on YouTube and how it looks like it runs so smoothly. Like it's really nice to know more of the reality and that it's still possible. It's so nice that you've had the support of such lovely neighbors and it connects more, I think, with everyone's humanity in wanting to help someone when it is for a cause that's like trying to do better for others on the planet. Like it's, yeah, it's so nice. So, so lovely any things that really were like oh I really didn't think about this that just hit you once you'd moved in no I was really bad at thinking about all of the things to be honest like I have a super busy life and yeah I just bought this house and I was like okay I, I have no idea what I'm going to do and as I mentioned before everything went so step by step and I didn't think of many other things like our yeah for example I wanted to have a wood stove and then I ordered it and it arrived quite fast and then I was missing the pipes and then I was missing like the wood you know <laughs> like I'm just trying to go step by step and I really hope that soon I have some more time to try to think things a bit better because there were just so many things that went a bit uh, slower than expected and yeah like now we're in the middle of the winter and I still don't have any wood to <laughs> use in my stove so that kind of things also one of the things that my house is going to allow me is that since I don't really have a rent to pay and since I don't really have any debts I mean I borrowed money from my sister she was really nice and I thank her uh, but yeah within like three four months I'll be free of all debts which I'm super happy about and I decided to also work less because I was working full time and I was really feeling like it was way too much for me. But also having this house now allows me to financially say, okay, I want to work less and to have more time for myself or more time for different projects that I want to have. That's awesome because it's almost like it allows you then more freedom in your time to spend it in ways that align more with your values because you're not having to worry so much about the rent and the debt and things like that so it comes back to that thing of having that more time to research into these things is super mm -hmm. valuable i know you mentioned before about having the rainwater being captured for your own water are there any other steps you're hoping to take in the next few months or year um, or <laughs> yeah well i think the water thing is going to be quite uh complicated because collecting rainwater seems kind of easy but if you want to use it for your shower or for drinking water you need a lot of filters so you have to think very well about that so I think that's going to take quite some time I also still have to build the woodshed 
uh, yeah, just to keep my wood dry. Uh, so that's really nice. And then, yeah, just planting some plants around the house, uh, <laughs> trying to make it look a bit nicer, even if it already looks quite nice. And yeah, maybe painting things on my walls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice i just can't get over how wonderful it must feel to like have that space as like yours and know that you're making more and more steps towards being more and more sustainable i think that's yeah that's so amazing i know you mentioned before that you've kind of always been interested in sustainability and trying to live in a more eco-friendly way but i was wondering if there is anything you can pinpoint from when you were younger that that made you want to care more about those things or make more changes in your life to be more sustainable I remember when I was in uh, school we had this teacher he showed us the movie of I don't know the name in English but it's a movie of Al Gore explaining about climate change a lot of people have seen it and like he was showing how exponentially the uh, greenhouse gases were being emitted and it just yeah made me feel like I wanted to know more I guess I've also always been interested in like trying to help people out and there are some people who inspired me a lot through this and also some organizations that allowed me to yeah know more about the topic so yeah I guess I really started making choices on my own around when I was 18 I'd say like I had tried before of course to make the small things that people tell you to do like turning the lamps off and so forth but I was already thinking about uh, yeah, living in community and so forth when I was 18. And yeah, I tried to do research and I had a blog about like all of the things you can do to be more sustainable. But that was like almost, yeah, it was 10 years back from now. So no one was talking about zero waste. No one was talking about any of those things. And I just tried to investigate about how the, these things were possible. And then I just tried to or fourth and fourth and I think it's a big process and like some people just look at my life and say oh wow you're so sustainable you're so like almost like as if I was perfect in this which is of course not the case but yeah I've been into this for the past 10 years so I just went like step by step I guess a lot of people just criticize I don't know you going for climate marches or climate strikes because they are going I don't know to the McDonald's right after the climate strike at least we had a lot of criticism like this in the media in Belgium and I feel like you can't really judge people who are trying to do something just because they're not doing it perfectly you have to like keep in mind that it's a process that the process can be very long that you're never reaching an end to be honest and take every nice thing as it is yeah yeah definitely and I think it's so important what you said like there are so many contradictions within the human psyche and how we function in the world because there's so many choices that we can't always make the best choice so we can't be too quick to judge people it's like first of all you can't know whether they've had that education yet to to know to make that connection and you know sometimes it is that difficult thing of when you learn something you suddenly realize you've seen the world in that way and you can mm. assume that everyone else has seen that thing but they might not have yet or they might have other limitations in their life that you don't have yourself and it's always questioning that and recognizing can I really say that and make that judgment when I don't have the full picture I think is something super important yeah exactly and as I was saying before like I wouldn't have reached this life if I hadn't had support from people around me if I hadn't had like the privilege to have a like country that would pay for my studies if my parents couldn't afford it which was the case for me. I just feel like I've been privileged in so many things that allowed me to reach that sustainable life and that other people might not have like the proper networks, the knowledge, the economical resources. There are so many things that can keep you away from living a sustainable life that I'm not judging anyone for not living sustainably because I know that it can be really tricky if you don't have those uh, means to do so. And yeah, so I feel like as a citizens, we have created all of the solutions to live a sustainable life. And we are just now waiting for 
politicians to mainstream uh, <laughs> those things because yeah we have already created all the things and yeah what are we waiting for just for everyone to get on the boat and yeah we need strong decisions for that <laughs> yeah it's so true because it even comes back to what you were saying about how technically you living in your tiny house at the moment isn't legal yet what you're doing for the planet is so much healthier than a lot of things that are completely legal so it comes to that shift in political decisions that's so important because it's like you're living in a way that's like one of the least harmful ways to live in comparison to a lot of things that are happening in society and to know that that's viewed as illegal yet some awful things that huge corporations are doing they're finding loopholes in the law to be able to do it and it's no problem like it's just mm. But yeah, I think it would be really interesting to talk a bit about the balance between individual and community action, because I know you're involved a lot with climate action groups, and I'm going to name a few so that I don't miss any out. So you've got Global Youth Biodiversity Network, the Green Youth, Belgian Youth Delegate, and Weekends for Future. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear more about what, what that involved, how you got involved in them. Yeah, where to start? I think it was, yeah, it was two years ago uh, when I was uh, still living in the flat. I started the community compost where I live and it worked really well. Like so many people got involved, but still I was thinking like, and what if everyone starts a community compost? Will this be sufficient to face the emergency of like climate and biodiversity? And the answer was clearly no. Like, even if everyone would take that step, like not only of the compost, but also like of individual change, like still it wouldn't be enough to just stay below 1.5 degrees, for example, or to limit biodiversity loss. I reached that conclusion that just individual action wouldn't be enough and that even with like everything I could do, it would just never be enough. So I started thinking, how could I do more? and yeah, just, I was just scoring on Facebook and I saw an ad to become a, a youth delegate at the United Nations so I could represent my country there. And I applied and I don't know why, but I got selected. <laughs> so yeah, and this is just where my journey started into like activism, I'd say. Like even if I think that like starting community projects can also be activism, at some point you need to see the bigger picture to try to do the most. I got the opportunity to go to the COP25, which is the climate summit of the United Nations in 2019. And to be honest, I didn't really expect anything of this summit because I don't know, if we are reaching the number 25 of the COPs, is that like, <laughs> you know, if it was supposed to change something, we wouldn't have reached number 25, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was just I wasn't really expecting anything and it was a good thing because nothing happened there still this experience was so incredible for me like at the personal level and I met so many like great activists and so many people who gave their life to fight against climate change and it also gave me an overview of what's actually happening in the world because when you live in the global north you're just like seeing, I don't know, zero waste movements and a lot of super positive things. And then when you look at the numbers behind, you still realize that this is not doing that much in the balance to fight against climate change. And that so many people are already at the front lines of facing floods and other catastrophes, uh, yeah, fires. So many people are already in this, it's their life right now facing climate catastrophes. So. Who would I be? I have the privilege to go to this COP when some countries don't even have the means to send like official delegates. Mm -hmm. Like I am sent as a youth there and I got, yeah, to learn so many things. Who would I be if I wouldn't fight for those who don't have their voice being raised, who are being killed for being climate activists on other continents and other countries? Now that I know all those things and now that I have seen people just facing those things, I just feel like I have the responsibility to keep fighting for this. And that's why, like, even after this youth that I get program, I decided to 
keep engaged in projects and also to start maybe some uh, my own project. One of the groups that takes me <laughs> quite some time these months is the Global Youth Biodiversity Network. And they are also, yeah, they're both working at the local level and UN level, and they're working on biodiversity. And I think it's important to talk about it because a lot of people talk about climate action and climate activism. And yeah, just wildlife loss is just also that important. Like we cannot live without plants and animals and just other creatures helping us with like food, uh, air quality, uh, mental well-being. Yeah, there are just so many things that nature provides us that we have to keep fighting for because the loss is just so bad that we'll soon be left without any of those services that nature provides us. So I find it equally important to fight for that than for climate change. And that's why I decided to keep involved in the Global Youth Biodiversity Network. If you want to join, it's open to every youth, I think under the age of 35. So feel free to go to the website. There are different chapters in different countries, different continents. So it's really a great space for youth to get engaged. And there are also youth that have a lot, a lot of knowledge to share. And then you can know where you can get the information about, I don't know, how the EU works, when to like do lobbying and pressure because they know like when the decisions are being taken, what things are on the agenda. Just so many things you have to do as an activist, like keep up to date on everything and try to know when things are happening. And it can sometimes be just so overwhelming especially when you're part of like more than one group and try to follow like everything constantly so yeah wow yeah (laughs) because it's super important like you're saying i think biodiversity is something that always gets forgotten about and actually it's so fundamental to the planet in so many ways and to our well-being like you were saying and it would it's awful the amount that we've lost already and it's yeah so important that we do whatever we can to protect what is still left you know I think I was looking at one of your posts the other day that was about what people think your work involves and what your work actually involves and I think that's a really important thing as well of realizing the different forms that activism can take so I was wondering if maybe you wanted to chat a little bit about that yeah yeah of course well I think it has really changed since the COVID started because before that, like both my real work, I would say my paid work and my activist work were like a lot of physical actions, a lot of like things, uh, meeting people in person. And just as COVID started, everything was uh, moved online, which means that I would spend like an incredible, incredible amount of time on screens, <laughs> which has been really tricky for my well-being, sleep, mental health probably as well. I felt like before I had those break times like between taking the train to go to Brussels and go to like an activist activity and then come back. At least I had this time off on the train and now it's just like jumping from one meeting to the other and then social media and then yeah just so many things at the same time and all in the same space which is online so it has been really tricky for me and also I said yes to way too many things and at some point your brain doesn't really follow anymore and you feel like how am I going to stop this because I say yes and I really want to do it because I love it and I think it's super important but still you cannot be in every space like at some point you have to find your space like you can get involved at the individual level then you can do like blogging or sharing on social media and then you can start a community project you can lobby local or national politicians or work at an international level like there are so many different spaces that you can get involved in and the issue that i had is that i tried to do everything uh, because i think that everything is like equally important but at some point, it's just not doable for one single person. So I'm still struggling and trying to find a balance about this. So yeah, trying to find my space. Yeah, but I think that's such an important point you made as well of how all of these different forms of activism are equally valid. You need to find the space in which you feel you can contribute 
the most to in a way that feels authentic to you. And I think it, it comes back to when we were talking about the individual and kind of community focus. And of course, you're completely right in that one individual action can't fix everything but so many individuals finding something that they can do to help is going to have a positive impact. And it's so difficult because like you're saying, you want to do everything that you can, which is amazing, but it's then finding, yeah, finding where are those spaces that you can sit in and give the fullness of yourself because you're not completely burnt out from everything. Yeah, I think it's hard to find, but also that it's essential to find because if you don't do it, you're just going to get burned out. And a lot of people talk about resilience and try to make a planet that's going to like adapt better to the changes that we are going to see and that we are already seeing. But if you don't have this resilience in yourself of being able to adapt to changes and to like take things a bit easier sometimes, then you're just going to end up burnt out and not being able to help on any space anymore something that's often like hidden when you get into activism and people don't necessarily talk about those things i see that a lot of a lot of people are starting to talk about it on social media and i think that it's really great to share it because yeah some people just keep saying things like there is no such thing as uh, not having time for something like that it can actually be the case and they're just saying yeah you're prioritizing the wrong things or you're taking too much rest <laughs> when you're actually not taking any rest at all and yeah so hmm. yeah i think mental health is really an important thing to talk about especially in the activist world because we just try to do so much and like everything looks suddenly so important when you start getting engaged in those spaces that you want to fight for, I don't know, racism and environment, and yeah, climate, biodiversity, uh, yeah, gender, and yeah, just so many things because everything is so interconnected. But at the same time, like, it's humanly not possible to engage in all the spaces and all the levels. So yeah, just important to find the space that fits you best. Uh, that time of your life yeah definitely and I think the point you made about everything being so interconnected is really important from the point of view that just because you then delegate more of your time into one space doesn't mean that you're neglecting any of those other important things because you can bring that into the space that you're in and it, it might not be in the same capacity as if you're directly advocating for that one specific cause but you are taking the principles of that specific cause and trying to integrate it into the space you're in which is also incredibly valuable so that we get that sort of connectivity between all these issues rather than just having people being like well I've chosen to fight for this cause so I'm almost mm. just staying in that and not thinking about the other things it's like you can still yeah, create a space that encompasses those values, even if it is striving towards one, one particular thing, I think. You've, you've already been wonderful in suggesting somewhere some people can go to if they want to engage more in community activism. Um, but if there are people listening who are still a bit like, oh, I don't know where to spend my energy, do you have any advice you would give to them in helping to either try and figure that out or something that you feel could be a valuable step they could take? Yeah, I think it really depends on what space these uh, people feel comfortable with. I mean, at the global level, it, there are different groups. Like in Europe, there is uh, Generation Climate Europe. There is a, there's also Youth for Nature, which is a global network. They're doing an amazing work uh, trying to connect climate change and biodiversity. So, it's also super easy. You can submit your story on their website and they're going to share it on the map and to connect you to other people. So that can also be a nice organization. Uh, then, of course, yeah, Global Youth Biodiversity Network. Um, there is, um, yeah, those are the things like uh, working more at the global, like UN or continental level, um, which is uh, kind of nice. And then what you can also do is just look around and feel it and look at what could be missing in your community. Like, for example, when I studied the community compost, I was just going from my own experience first. Like, 
I had just moved out of my parents' place and they had a garden I could compost and so forth. And then moving into the flats, I had no option to separate that like organic waste. And I was like, I'm not going to throw this into the residual bin. <laughs> this is not going to happen. So I just thought about how I could fix this issue. And that's like something that everyone can do. Like, of course, it needs some time and some energy and to connect with other people who do this. But yeah, that can be an easy thing to do. Like start what would be missing. Like in, if in your town, you cannot buy any local and seasonal vegetables because there is no store offering those. Think of, hey, how could I just start a local store? Or yeah, we did that in the town that I was living in before. Like just citizens deciding to start that place and like there are only people volunteering there and we are all equally owners of the store and we can decide on what goes in and what uh, kind of products are being sold so yeah that's also something and then if you're about to choose your career I would say that you could also choose something that is linked to the environment because there are more and more careers offering like yeah studies linked to like biodiversity or renewables or yeah just so many things that you can choose from that could lead you to actually spend most of your time <laughs> in uh, your um, future job working on sustainability issues. Thank you. There's so many useful suggestions in there. And again, it, it tailors to anyone who wants to engage in somewhere, really finding a space that they can do so um, if you're in a, a position of privilege in which you can do so. I really like that you mentioned as well about the kind of things you can look around and do in your location where you are now, because it's those things that connect you back to the environment and what you're taking from it and mm -hmm. yeah like especially when you're saying about looking into getting local fruit and veg and things like that sometimes mm. you don't think about it as much if you go to the grocery shop and you're trying to think about not using plastic and then choosing something plastic free but then it could have been imported from anywhere whereas if you set up something that's really prioritizing mm. the local you're then like oh actually these are the fruit and veg that grow here at this time of year you know, and it connects you back to that, which is so important. Yeah, and I have to say that those projects are also much more, I'd say, easier to work with. Because when you work at a global and activist level, you hardly ever see the result of your work. I mean, you might have written a nice policy brief or like documents or met with that minister, but you don't really see the action that's going to... to <laughs> To source from them did it really have an impact like you can never really tell and that's can be something really frustrating when you're yeah being an activist yeah it's just really hard to know if you really made a change or not but if you're starting a project like in your local community it can be much more measurable i'd say like if you start a community compost and you know that like 100 people signed up then you know that 100 people are now composting which can be like really cool to think of that you started such a thing so it can be much more rewarding maybe and I think something a bit linked to that and the frustration that you were talking about I wanted to ask a little bit about eco-anxiety because that's obviously a massive thing that especially when you're doing all the projects that you're doing and putting so much of your energy and time into these super important things you were saying it's so overwhelming and uh, yeah how, how is that something that we can all navigate because I think we all experience it on different levels if we care about these things so yeah any advice is super valuable yeah well to me eco-anxiety has been a big thing especially when I started being an activist it's when you know a bit more about like the science behind what are the different scenarios and that they all look like catastrophe, <laughs> not so much has been done in the past years, and that there is very little chance that things are going to change in the following years, you can get like really depressed and really anxious about all those things because you feel like there is absolutely nothing that you can do to change it. And that can be like a really, really bad thing. I mean, for youth in general, it's about a future. So it's really important and we are often excluded of their decisions. I also feel like, I don't know, if I ever would want to have children, like knowing the consequences of what the past and current generations have done, 
this is a big thing and this should be a personal choice, but we cannot have this freedom anymore because we have this burden now of eco-anxiety that brings us to think like, to me, it's been a big thing. How did I manage to like keep fighting and keep trying to stay positive? Yeah, different things, I guess. Like, as I said, like local projects can really help because you meet a lot of nice people around you. You are making a change and it's kind of rewarding because a lot of people are thanking you for it or you're working together and it's kind of nice. Like bigger projects. I met so many amazing people like all around the world being an activist and that also keeps me going because like so many people are dedicating their life to trying to make the planet a better place. And it's just amazing to see all the different energies, to see the artists that are doing also nice things and trying to raise awareness with the art. So many people going towards one same thing is really nice. And that's probably one of the things that also keeps me going. Every small thing that you can do, whether it's at an individual or a bigger level, it's like no matter how small the things that you can do are, it's going to benefit to someone. And since I'm trying to just operate for a better planet, just to know that even if I'm having a small impact, it's going to have a big impact for some people on this planet. So, yeah. So, like, it's something to do with, oh, if you think something small can't have an impact, think about, like, a mosquito bite or a bee sting or something. Just because your action might be small, it doesn't mean that it can't be felt and it can't have an impact or even maybe it impacts someone else who can make different choices in their life which has an impact on other things and yeah mm. I think that's something that can for sure keep some sort of motivation and help with the anxieties that we feel about everything that's happening so yeah thank you that's super super helpful yeah and mm. you mentioned within that how seeing kind of different different activists in different places in the world and how that has been inspiring for you. I was wondering if there's any particular climate activist that you find super inspiring. Yeah, I have this one friend. Uh, I hope she listens to the podcast. <laughs> She's called Karin and she lives in Chile. And she is a, a graphic design student and at the same time a human rights and gender and climate activist. And yeah, she's an incredible person and she puts just so much energy into her like artwork for different campaigns, like starting different accounts and trying to raise awareness on issues, trying to put pressure on politicians. And it's just amazing how the combination between like her graphic design work and the causes that she's fighting for combine so well. She does so amazing artworks and it just gives you uh, the will to sign the petition much more when it looks nice around or to like look at the video if uh, there is a nice filter that's being created for it and yeah I just find this amazing how she's uh, doing this because I think that she's inspiring so many people and that she led so many successful campaigns that yeah I definitely cite her as a an activist that inspires me because She's just doing so much and trying to be so intersectional in what she fights for. Thank you. What I really like there that you're saying as well is she obviously works as a graphic designer and within sort of the art sector. That doesn't mean you can't use that in a way that's impacting positively on climate activism and be a climate activist. I think it's it's so important that we don't almost trap ourselves and being like oh well I've gone into this career so how can I relate to what's happening and it's very comforting for me to hear as well as a dance artist because that's something that I struggled with for a long time is feeling like these were these opposite things but actually I've started to start realizing how they're crossing over and beginning to crossing over and I'm finding more about uh, projects that I can get involved in that I can use my skills as a dance artist to contribute to that and other skills that I've gained from that to feel like I'm not just having these two separate things that I care about they actually can inform each other so it's really nice that you have her as an, an, as, as an example because I think that helps inspire people to not feel like a certain industry they're in stops them from having a huge impact. Yeah, exactly. Like I mentioned some careers that you can take if you want to work in sustainability. But to be honest, like 
I wouldn't say no matter the career you choose, but like because I think that's so much definitely leading to destruction of the environment. But like with most careers, it's mainly what you're going to do out of it. If you study, I don't know, sociology or art, or there are so many topics that are connected to the environment, and that can, you can actually use your specific knowledge because. We also need experts in our fields giving a new perspective on this. And a lot of things that I've been working on, it was just like convincing people who are already convinced of uh, yeah, environmental action. But you as artists, you can connect like so many people that are not necessarily interested in the environment in the first place, but who are following you or liking your work for your art and the things that you are doing and that are after that, it's going to look a bit deeper. And if you're an artist or whatever the career is, what you have, the important thing is what you do with it and how you want to like, show different people how to get into the environmental movement. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, no matter what area of work you're in, there's a way you can make your working space more mm. sustainable in the way it functions. And yeah those little ripple effects I do believe do have some power and if you start putting little bits of information in there they'll start to filter through and it's just hoping that it starts happening quickly enough but yeah yeah well going back to where I said before I think that this is not going to work quick enough to face the emergencies and that's why we really need like strong political action and yeah just companies stop greenwashing and just a lot of people that are very aware of environmental issues and they say it is just too late i'm not going to fight for political change and i feel like there is no such thing as too late there is a huge difference in for example reaching 1.5 degrees or two degrees or three degrees the effects are going to be immensely different especially for people in the global south and that we can just say hey, I'm going to build my little tiny house in the countryside and just leave the rest of the world falling apart <laughs> because I'm living sustainably. Like, that, that is not my perception of life and of our planet, and that's not how it works. And it might be too late to stay below 1 or 1.5 degrees since we're already at 1.2 degrees of global warming. If we just give it up, we're going to set no goal at all and we're going to reach like five, six, seven degrees or whatever, which is going to destroy all life on our planet. And yeah, so we just have to fight for ambitious goals, fight for implementation of these goals. We cannot just give up and say that we're just going to yeah, have a close tiny house in the middle of nowhere and saying that we are doing everything that we can for the environment because yeah at least according to me that's not how it works yeah no that's so important and i think it's amazing as well that like you can choose to care about both you know you don't have to make the choice of being like well i'm just going to focus on my my little pocket of the world and just escape from it how i can like you can you can do that and do the actions in your individual life but you can still connect that to the bigger picture and i think mm. it's so important what you say about not giving up because we can still stop more damage from happening yeah exactly and i see just quite a lot of people around me just saying okay i'm going to have my house in the countryside and have my own vegetable garden and just grow my own things and live in autonomy from the rest of the world. So no matter what crisis we face, I'm going to be safe. And the thing is, most people don't have the privilege to be able to buy a house in the countryside and to start those things. And most people don't, don't just don't have the means and don't have the privilege to be able to uh, live a, uh, like life that allows them to be like disconnected sort of from society so i guess that those people also have to think about how can i support other people on this planet who don't have that privilege who are not going to be able to like have a new house instead of the one they have now because there are just so many people like living everywhere on this planet who live like too close to the coast and that those people who are not going to be able to adapt are the ones that have the least impact on yeah climate change and biodiversity loss in the first place so 
and they're suffering the worst consequences. So that is just not fair, and there is a matter of justice behind there. And yeah, so you cannot just say, okay, I polluted for most of my life, and now I'm going to have my vegetable garden. <laughs> yeah, that's just not fair. That's, yeah, it doesn't sound right to me at all. And a lot of people don't see the whole picture and just see the whole small life or small, very small communities. After having a whole life of polluting the amount you do, just having that then self-sustaining vegetable garden and house in the countryside isn't enough to undo all the damage up to that point. And it's taking that responsibility from recognizing if we're born in a situation of privilege, a responsibility comes with that to help backtrack all of the damage that, yeah, that's a really important point that you make. Well, are there any other points that you would like to talk about? a message you would want people to take away as like a one little nugget if, if they haven't taken away so much already. I just want people to know that I guess that most of the people who are listening to the podcast are already like sort of engaged in individual change or environmental action. And yeah, I just wanted to send a positive message out to, to these people who are already doing an amazing job. And I just wanted to say that like everything you can do is super valuable. And uh, it's just great because once you start going into these uh, things, you never stop and you just go forward, uh, which is great. And sometimes you just take a small step back, like I said, with my car, for example. But yeah, just wanted to say that everything that you can do is amazing. Everything that you can do is valuable. Everything that you can do has an impact, even if it's super small. Uh, Don't put too much pressure on you. Everything is super valuable. and just keep the good work (laughs) that's super important that we we recognize the steps we are taking but also not shy away from the thought that i guess we we will make mistakes and we will invest time and energy into something that we think Mm -hmm. is impactful in a positive way to then realize maybe it's not doing as much good as we thought and like it's okay to make those learnings, I guess, and move forward from them. Yeah, everyone does mistakes and it's also often really tricky to know what the good choice is because there is a huge lack of information. It's just hard for people to make the right choice because, uh, yeah, lack of knowledge, lack of information, lack of options available. So... Yeah, if something is missing in your community, try to do it or try to motivate people around you to do it with you because it can be a super nice project. If there are only wrong choices like the supermarket thing, like just think of what you could do um, to make a change. There's so many solutions to one same problem that, yeah, so many things we can do. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a lovely point to make because I think sometimes when we're faced with something that feels like there's no good choice to make rather than feeling overwhelmed by there's no good choice it's like oh well then that means there are some solutions I can try and find within that or how can I try and make there be a better choice and yeah so thank you for that that's super important and I just have one last um question which is the one that I always ask at the end so yeah if you would like to just say how you find your little bit of bargain um Yeah, I'd say that my little bit of lagom is something that kind of keeps me away sometimes from thinking of all the problems that are on our planet, because I think it's also important to take breaks from that. I joined a handball team and it was really amazing until the pandemic shut everything down, of course. But it was really a space where I could do something different and also meet people that are different have different conversations so yeah that was really my little bit of lagom and now that like spot those I really noticed that it's harder to keep up because I am just getting overwhelmed because I don't necessarily have an activity that replaces it so I just try to go for nice walks when it's not raining too much (laughs) yeah thank you so much for what you've shared it's so valuable and yeah I'm so happy that you agreed to come on the podcast it's so nice oh thank you so much for inviting it was such a pleasure to chat with you have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much again it's been so lovely speaking with you yeah same thank you for 
the opportunity and yeah what a nice chat <laughs> goodbye bye enjoy your day thank you you too bye thank you Thanks so much Esmeralda, I really do think you're such an awesome person and I'm so grateful that we got in touch. If you'd like to find out more about what Esmeralda's up to, you can find her on Instagram at EsmeraldaWurtz and I'll leave that in the description notes as well. If you have any thoughts or comments on any of the podcast episodes, you can always get in touch with me on Instagram at a little bit of Largum, or you can email me on a little bit of Largum at gmail.com. It would also be so greatly appreciated if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share with family and friends if you've enjoyed any of these episodes. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye!